0: This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a TrekFM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek-F-M. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek-F-M.
1: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored
0: welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated star trek books and comics show i'm christopher jones and with me as he is every single week is my esteemed co-host matthew rushing matthew what's that all over you today looks like are you covered completely in protective creatures
1: no, Chris. Um, I I just I forgot to take a shower after I went running. Oh, uh, so right. that's probably what it is. I, I don't think. Um, yeah, it's it's just sweat Uh, I'm sorry. Okay. I just it's I not busy. the bath. Okay, yeah, no, all
0: right, good. So, so if you brush up against someone, they're not gonna you know fall into a coma or anything. No, like I don't.
1: That. I don't think so. Okay. I don't. I I don't hear my fiance in the other room, so maybe <laughs> you I better should go, go check.
0: check. So, so this is a reference, everyone, to what we're going to talk about in the feature today, the storyline of the Slings and Arrows book, That Sleep of Death. And this is going to be a shorter literary trick, definitely a shorter show for literary tricks than usual today, because it's a very short e-novella, the fourth book in that Next Generation series, which bridges the gap between generations and first contact, and There's just not a lot in that story. And we're also thin on news today as well, Matthew. But we do have one item that we want to remind everyone of from last week. And that is, of course, the petition to get the USS Titan into the official starship's collection.
1: Chris, uh, this is something that uh, I'm pretty passionate about. I know you are. Uh, I know Sean Taranjo is very passionate about um, and the Trek collective James or the Trek collective is very passionate about Mm -hmm. Uh, exciting to report right now, 25% full on the petition. So uh, only 75% more to go. That's, that's the uh, glass half full look at everything today, but glass half empty, we still got 75% and I know that we can make this.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Actually, you know, We've gained about 500 signatures in this campaign since we talked about it last week. And there is no time limit on this. So it's not like they're saying you have to have them by September 31st or it's off. So it may be slow, but I'm actually encouraged by the fact that 500 more people have gone and signed this. And we're right now at 1,253 signatures as we're recording Out of 5,000, as Matthew said, that is 25%.
1: Yeah, and those are great. Those are great numbers, Chris. And um, I'm so excited that fans are responding to the petition. Um, And I'm glad that in some ways, hopefully, we've been helpful in getting the word out there. So, uh, you know, get your friends to sign this, get your Star Trek friends to sign this. It's a big deal um i think any way that we can get the titan as a part of this starship collection chris i i I think we we can make it happen and i definitely believe in all the the lit fans out there and and i think even just star trek fans you know this is something that's on star trek online now and it's out there Mm -hmm. so um even those fans hopefully they'll go and want uh you know a copy of this model yeah hopefully Shelf.
0: So, Matthew, here's my plan. After the Titan succeeds and it gets made and then we get the Aventine, which we've talked about, I'm going to start a petition for those little jet ski things that the Romulans were using in the Intelligence Gathering comics that we did a few weeks ago here on the show. You think 5,000 people want to buy those?
1: You know, Chris, I'm not sure, but I'm, I bet <laughs> there are fans out there that would just, you know, eat that that up. Um, and Maybe. so, I mean... It, <laughs> If you're, it'll all be yeah, Romulans. Uh, Romulan exactly, spies. That Five thousand
0: Romulan spies will will sign I that. mean,
1: if you're excited about you know small shuttles from Cardassia, you know, and you're yeah. you really want that on your shelf, I, you know, why wouldn't you <laughs> want a you know, a small scooter like thing? Yeah,
0: jet ski. Bred by Romulans. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah.
0: Why not? Everybody wants that. So. So we just wanted to remind everyone about that and give you an update and encourage you to go over and sign. It's at petitionbuzz.com, the word petition, the word buzz, dot com slash petitions slash USS Titan. And we'll put a link in our show notes. If you go to the Trek Collective, you'll see their article and they have links as well. So get on over there and uh, sign up on that. So Matthew, that's really the only thing we have in news. It's a very slow news week in the world of books and comics. So we did want to address one piece of feedback that we got this week about last week's show, however, and just explain a little bit about our approach to covering books here on the show. This is a letter that we received from listener Martin, who is a longtime listener of the show and often communicates with us. And we really appreciate Martin's support. What Martin said, though, was, Hey, I was just listening to the latest Literary Treks podcast where you review This Gray Spirit. And I'm afraid you've got me screaming in frustration to the point where as soon as I got to the office, I had to come here and start pounding furiously on the keyboard. You spent 20 minutes discussing Shakar and how you didn't understand his motivations and his arguments with Kira. And I'm afraid that's because you've completely misunderstood what's going on here. I'm not sure if you haven't read the following Mission Gamma books, or you've forgotten what happened in them. Or maybe you do know, but you're deliberately talking as if you don't to avoid spoiling future novels. So on the off chance you haven't read them, I'll spoiler space this. And then he goes down and then he tells us, about there's something about Shakar, and we don't want to reveal it here either because it's why we weren't talking about it last week. There is something going on with Shakar that explains his unusual or questionable position on this issue regarding Bajor and the Federation and Cardassia. And Martin was very, very frustrated because there is something going on that explains why he's acting this way. And we didn't talk about it. And we were just talking about Shakar's motivations. But we we don't want to spoil something that's not actually in that book because, uh, as I told Martin in an email, we know that a lot of people will read a book and listen to our discussion about that book and then read the next book and then read our discussion about that book. And so when we're doing a series that is going to be spaced out over the course of many, many months here on the show. It's not going to be four shows at one time or even four consecutive weeks. We don't want to talk about what happens down the road because we're going to discuss the book from what the author is giving you in that book, because that's all that you as the reader have to go on.
1: And sometimes, Chris, I you know, we'll reference maybe something that happens later on in the future in a book. Mm-hmm. We, we do do that every once in a while. Um, but I think it is a lot more fun to kind of experience the series over again. And for both you and me, this is a re-experience of this series. For me personally, I, I haven't read this series since 2002 when these books came out. It's quite a long mm-hmm. time ago. And honestly, I completely forgot what happened to Shakar. I knew something was going on. Martin reminded me of what had actually happened to him, but I knew it had something to do with, uh, you know, it's just not right what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. But it's been fun for me because I'm re-experiencing these books and it's not quite new, like in, in this gray spirit. Halfway through the book, I remembered, oh yeah, Thriss is going to commit suicide in this book. And I the whole time I knew it was leading up to that because as I read through the book, my memory was triggered of what happens to the rest of the story.
0: And I kind Mm -hmm. of know
1: broad brushstrokes of of a lot of the Trek lit universe, but I don't necessarily always remember all the details. And so one of the reasons I think when we suggested doing this to each other when we first started literary treks, it was going back pretty far in Trek lit um, with a continuous story. We both love Deep Space Nine and we're both getting to re-experience it together.
0: I think also to clarify what I said a moment ago and following up on what you said there is that when we talk about a book, we will often talk about something that happens at the end of the book, at the beginning of the discussion, because it's all contained within one book. And the assumption is that if someone is listening to the show, they're familiar with the book or they've just read the book, so they know what happens at the end as well. But when we're dealing with a series of books that were published not at the same time, that's where we will tend to stay away for the most part from spoilers of what's going to come in a future book just because if you were reading it for the very first time the the next book wasn't published yet at the time that you were reading that one and so all you had to go on is what the author is saying in that book and I think it's interesting to talk about like what's our reaction to what's happening on the page right now even though the next author is going to pick that up and actually explain it.
1: Well, and it makes it a lot of fun to do that, I think, for me. And as well, I think, for a lot of the listeners that are maybe reading along for the first time. Chris, I can't tell you how many people I've I've run into on, on the Trek BBS who, mm-hmm. you know, they're just getting into Star Trek lit and they're reading through, you know, Deep Space Nine relaunch right now. And so I totally swear by how awesome the Deep Space Nine relaunch is. I'm just excited that I, I've forgotten some of the story points, so that as we reread them, um, it's not just a, a really boring exercise for me. I'm really right, getting to yeah. go back in and, and enjoy these books uh, as much as I enjoyed them before, or maybe be a little mm-hmm. bit more critical than before um, because I have a whole new perspective, you know, and, and especially mm-hmm. a lot more life experience now that I'm rereading this series and just a lot of these truck books in general. Uh, some of the f- books that we'll cover. Um, I, you know, Shadows in the Sun, like we did with McCoy. It's it's a nostalgic, personal favorite for me. So mm-hmm. as critical as mm-hmm. I may or may not be in a book like that, I'm going to be a little bit more lenient. And that's going to come out, and I'm going to let you know that right up front. So I, I think that this is the fun of, of rereading a book, those just getting to experience it anew. Um, you know, I just finished rereading Harry Potter for like the umpteenth mm-hmm. millionth time, you know, that I have. But I always find something different. And when I read it, reread it, and I I respond well, that's to it why we watch.
0: that's why we watch episodes over and over, right? Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, as and as well. Chris, I'm always reminded too, you know, for you, say, Children of Time and Deep Space Nine, first time you saw that episode, you hated it.
0: I hated it. I thought it was the worst episode <laughs> Star Trek ever made. And now... And now I love it. Yeah,
1: there you go. So it's <laughs> so, the same thing with, with some of the books. Things change. Uh, yeah. And some of the, the surprises that come along, and sometimes yeah. not so surprises as... We might talk about later today,
0: and and for me too, I I will admit that I have trouble remembering what I talked about on a podcast two weeks ago. So, like you, Matthew, I because I have so much stuff running through my head all the time, and it's always something new that we're discussing, and and things get pushed away, and and I'm getting old, so my brain doesn't work as well <laughs> anymore. But but it's uh, like like you, like I know broad strokes. Of things, but the fine details, they do uh, fade away. I'm also looking forward to reading Mosaic again, which we're going to talk about coming up. Probe as well. Uh, I suggested to you that we do Federation sometime, which for a long time was my favorite Star Trek book, but I haven't read it in, I don't know, at least a decade. I read it when it first came out. I had it in hardcover, and I've read it since but it's been forever. Well, and so now, reading I that mean, again will be kind of a new experience for me.
1: Completely different story now that we've seen First Contact mm-hmm. as well. You know, that book came out mm-hmm. way before First Contact. And so this book was the first meeting of Picard and Kirk, you know, in, in, in and kind yeah. of a strange timeline thing happening and, and all of that. So that along with Zephyr and Cochran kind of being at the center of it as well. So I, again, perspectives change as we go back to some of these books and 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 read them again i love though thank you so much martin for writing in because we really Mm -hmm. appreciate the fact fact that you have such a passion for the lit and and for our show um and and i understand Mm -hmm. kind of listening to a podcast and being like oh how are you guys so stupid you know (laughs) know? um because we all do that and uh well matthew
0: (laughs) let's okay uh, let's just let's just cut all of this and, and be honest here martin Matthew and I, there's something a little off with both of us too, last week, and that's why, you know, it was a little, you know, it's kind of the same thing that's going on with Shakar, it happened to us too. (laughs) But the the last thing I'll say on this, uh, Martin, and anyone listening who had the same feelings is, in that situation, you know, take it to, try to imagine someone else reading it without knowing what was going on and how they're taking it in, because that's, part of the fun of doing the podcasts and what we've been talking about here, reading books, watching episodes or whatever, we're all about, you know, different angles and different perspectives on things. So even if you know what's going on, just step out of that and say, here's another take on it from someone who doesn't know.
1: Well, and I think sometimes too, Chris, uh, we get some great ideas that come to us as we're, we're talking about things and we're, approaching it from that perspective because Mm -hmm. it it leads to some interesting conversations. And so the, just the conversation about Bajorans and um, who they are and how they respond to Cardassia at this point, I thought was a great discussion. And I really do stand by, I think that there are some Bajorans out there who have the feelings that Shakar was, was verbalizing, Mm -hmm. even if there's Mm -hmm. something different about him.
0: And right. I, so it's not even yeah. specifically about him. It's the attitude. Mm-hmm. It's two different attitudes. The attitude represented by Shakar and the one represented by Kira that I found interesting and was my primary point in putting that on the outline in the first place.
1: So thank you. I so don't much. care
0: that much about Shakar himself, yeah. honestly.
1: Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, well, and this is maybe the only time Shakar's actually really interesting in general um, is mm-hmm. when he's not quite himself. So maybe that says something yeah. about the character, but... I Again, so. uh, we really do appreciate the feedback. It's so much fun to to be able to hear from from the listeners and, and what you guys have to say. And we definitely take it seriously when you take yeah. the time to write us an email because I don't know that you Chris, I don't even really get that many emails anymore unless it's junk mail.
0: Yeah, yeah. Same here. Martin did sign off his letter by saying, Anyway, glad I've got that out of my system. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but we wanted to uh, mainly here explain sort of our approach to reviewing and discussion and w- why we may or may not reveal information. And um, I I know a lot of listeners probably think that we spoil too much stuff, probably. Uh, I am kind of sensitive, though, about trying not to spoil everything, particularly the endings of books. Uh, that's why we, we often gloss over the very ending of books, because we're like, let's leave those last few pages. No one knows quite what happened. All right, so there we go. If you want to send feedback to us, though, go to trek.fm slash contact, use that form, choose to send to a show, choose Literary Treks, and that'll come to us by email. And of course, you can hit us up on social media, send us a voicemail through the website. All those ways. We'll give you all the information again at the end of the show as well. All right, so that's all we have in news. Uh, Before we jump into this, what's going to be a short feature today, we'd like to remind everyone about Ways you can support the show, because we really do need your support to keep the show going every week. One way is Patreon. Patreon is a lot like Kickstarter, but it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a monthly basis. We now have a home on Patreon. We put all of our shows on there as well. When we can, we're putting out shows early, before the normal public release, and those will be available to patrons at the $15 level and higher. And if you're one of those patrons, when you go to our activity feed on Patreon, you'll actually see it right there with the SoundCloud player, and you can listen to the entire episode, and then those become public on the normal publication date. We also have lots of other perks for you, everything from digital wallpapers all the way up to associate producer credits, the chance to uh, be part of our content planning committee, to sit on the recordings of your favorite shows and even at some higher levels, a chance to take part in some shows. We have just all kinds of different things uh, that you can get in exchange for your support. We have goals outlined there on the page so you can see what we're working on right now and what we need help with. You can contribute any amount you want, but we do have preset levels with those perks outlined. And we've we've had a number of people sign up and, and I actually wanna just say thank you to all these people who have contributed so far. We've only been doing this for about a week now. There's uh, Norman Lau, Renee Roberts, Lisa Stevens, Ward 3, Romy Zacher, Janet Warley, Richard Cleveland, Eric Wellesby, James Keith Gardner, Felipe Garcia. A few people who only have their first names here. David, Aaron, Pierre, Benedict, Mike Crate, who's a huge supporter of ours in pretty much every social media channel. And Carl Morrer. So thank you so much to all of you guys who have contributed. It really means so much to Matthew and me and everyone on the network that you're supporting us there.
1: Chris, I, you know, I look at those numbers and I, I just, um, you know, I'm just astounded that that people would would care enough about what we do. Um, to want to wanna support us financially and um it is expensive um you know mm-hmm. we talked about we were just talking about actually on the other side of the page the the costs surrounding just hosting the shows in mm-hmm. general and, and and really adds up it does okay. um and you know we have a lot of shows on the network right now and and that cost keeps going up as we produce new shows like Axonar the official podcast and, and mm-hmm. things like that so I I I wish that I could express honestly what it means to know that there are people out there helping us produce the shows through their hard earned dollars. And so just know that we don't take it for granted and we want to do our best to continue to put out the best Star Trek podcast out there um, because we have a passion for it just like you do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and this show in particular, Literary Treks, you know, Matthew and I are buying books and comics every week <laughs> It for is this very show, out of our pockets too, so <laughs> it really adds up pretty quickly. So if you want to support us, check us out at patreon.com slash trekafilm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekafilm, and you'll see our milestone goals in the sidebar. Currently, we have some one-time goals in there that we need to take care of right now. And then we'll be changing those to more long-term goals after that. In the middle of the page there, you will see all the different levels that we have. Clear all mornings, thrusters, one quarter impulse power, full impulse power, all the way up to transwarp drive. But we promise not to have lizard babies with you. So don't worry about that. Whew, that's a good one because
1: <laughs> I, we don't really have a chain way for them to have those babies with. So
0: goodness yeah 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 i don't want it to be me that's for sure so <laughs> but if you go there you'll see home a creations activity uh, if you click on uh, activity we post various things there creations are our shows and other content we're gonna have exclusive content on there as well uh, just for patrons so check us out patreon.com slash we really do absolutely appreciate any support that you can give us in operating the network here So the other thing, Matthew, another way that people can support us is by supporting our sponsor, Audible.com. Every week we tell you about Audible. It's a great place to get your audiobooks. And as a Trekafilm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying out Audible. All you need to do is go to audibletrial.com slash Trekafilm and sign up and choose the book you want. We always recommend a book for you here. Matthew, I'm going to go ahead this week, and we've probably done this recently, but I want to recommend Probe because... We're going to do that later on this year on the show here. And I think I mentioned Probe earlier, actually, in our discussion today. And I remember very little about that book, other than it reminds me of Rama 2. If Star Trek for The Voyage Home was Rendezvous with Rama, the great Arthur C. Clarke novel, then Probe is Rama 2, where the probe comes back into the system and people still don't know why it's here.
1: (laughs) Chris, you know, it's so funny. I've been researching um, the the background of this book. There's a lot that goes into it, honestly. And um, in in fact, I I even uh, was in contact with uh, Margaret, who has an interesting history with the book herself. And um, Margaret, the author of the book at least her name's on the front of the book but we're going to talk about a lot of issues <laughs> revolving around the publishing in this book and just uh, some interesting things in star trek publishing history um because of it so i'm really excited about that and so definitely an opportunity here to go pick up probe mm-hmm. be ready for when we do talk about it and actually by the end of the year chris that that's our plan so yeah. i'm i'm pretty yeah. excited about it
0: Yeah, because we have something special planned for that as well. And uh, that Margaret is Margaret Wander Bonanno, not Margaret Clark, who currently edits all the Star Trek books. So uh, go pick it up. This novel, actually, Matthew, I don't know if you realize this or not. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for six weeks.
1: Wow, that is crazy.
0: Back in 1992. When it came out, you know, I so, do remember yeah.
1: when it came out. It was sitting on the shelves, and you did to go to the mall, and they still had bookstores uh-huh. in the mall. You know, like a yeah. Borders yeah. or you know, right. E. Dalton or something. And I remember it oh, being yeah. on the shelf.
0: Yeah, yeah. So again, go to Audibletrial.com dot com slash trekafilm to pick it up. Just sign up. We do get a little bit from Audible when you do that, and it does make a big difference for us in operating the network. So we thank you for doing that, and we really thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the rest of the network.
1: Chris, we're going to be continuing tonight in the Slings and Arrows series that we've been doing. Now, this set of books uh, takes place uh, right after the Enterprise-E has been launched. It's kind of that year between the beginning of, um, or the end of Generations and the beginning of First Contact and kind of what happens in that year. Uh, There's a lot going on in the Federation at that point, obviously, uh, and so how does the Enterprise-E and the crew of the next generation fit into that? So uh, That Sleep of Death is the next book here. And this one actually features, as I think everybody knows who listens to the, the network, one of my favorite characters, Dr. Crusher. And I've got to say, just alone by the cover, it's sufficiently exciting
0: there. Uh, <laughs> I know. I saw the cover. I'm like, Matthew is going to have really high expectations for this book because Beverly is front and center.
1: She is. And well, as always, uh, she looks fantastic. Um, and so in, in the wake of the concern uh, over the Dominion threat, Dr. Beverly Crusher has attempted to improve morale on the new Enterprise. By starting up her theater company again, and of course, of course, they're going to be doing a production of a Christmas Carol. Uh, but before of course. opening night, got a really devastating disease that kind of breaks out on the Enterprise, and it's striking down the crew. Unfortunately, as we all know, Beverly really hates the emergency medical hologram, and is therefore forced actually to rely on this piece of technology that she utterly despises. And can Mm -hmm. she find a cure before it's too late? Bum, bum, bum. Chris, I guess, um, you know, we've already talked about how fantastic the cover is. Uh, How much did you love (laughs) That Sleep of Death?
0: So, Matthew, I think that this book proves the flip side of our popular segment, Judge a Book by Its Cover, which is that you cannot always judge a book by its cover when the cover's great doesn't necessarily mean that what's inside's going to be great.
1: Wow, Chris. Um, I have to unfortunately agree with you. Uh, if I were to judge this book by its cover, I would say, huh, this looks like it's going to be a very interesting, uh, maybe mm-hmm. um, holodeck romp, something like that, involving the EMH as well as obviously the cover has Riker here and his uh, you know Christmas Carol garb. Mm-hmm. And of course, Beverly front and center, which is very exciting. The book just—I'll—I'll I'll preface it like this: I—I I opened up the ebook, and when I saw that the ebook on on a normal size font size was only about forty-five pages, I kind of felt like I was in for trouble from the very beginning.
0: Okay, so it's forty-five for you. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about ebooks; it's kind of hard to give an exact page count. So for me. I always use the font charter in iBooks. I always change it from the default because I like that one better. It's easier for me to read. And I probably set my type size a little bit larger than you do because I can't see very well right now. So for me, it was 66 pages. And even I had that reaction like, wait a minute, this is only 66 pages? Really? Which meant that I literally read this book in a break
1: 15 minutes and about 45 minutes at lunch. So right. that's, yeah. that's how quick it was, which now suffice it to say, you know, a small ebook can be really good oh, and, and very, yeah. you know, if it's condensed, that means it's going to be a really focused story, hopefully.
0: So for me, I I love science fiction short stories. I actually like short stories better than novels. So you can do a lot, even in 10 pages, you can tell a fantastic story This 66 pages was so misused that this is what I felt like, Matthew. I felt like that Terry Osborne must really love the TNG episode, Devil's Do," which opens with them performing A Christmas Carol, and thought, you know, I didn't get enough Christmas Carol in that episode, so I want to write a book where I get to continue quoting from A Christmas Carol. But in order to do that, I've got to have some other story that goes along with it. And if I can kind of make them parallel each other a little bit, that would also be kind of cool. And there's this ghost in A Christmas Carol, so I can have this alien who's able to sort of slip into the realm of death when people are sleeping, and it'll be kind of the same thing. But I'll spend most of my time quoting from A Christmas Carol. You know I. Is that is that is that too harsh of an assessment of this story? No, I
1: really don't think so. Um, and it is kind of unfortunate because I feel like this book was a perfect way to kind of talk about what life is like on the brand new Enterprise E. hmm Uh I, I, I thought, you know, okay, this I think is a great way to kind of dive into these characters and and what life is like here. On this this Enterprise that that we don't we don't really have an idea uh, of kind of what life is like there we we have seen the Enterprise D we saw that for seven seasons we have an understanding of uh, you know what life looks like there um, you know it's it's ten forward everything like that and yet we don't have that for the Enterprise E this whole book series is a series of stories that are focusing on the first year of service for that enterprise.
0: It's also about the characters exactly. and explaining why some of the characters are the way they are in first contact. And that's something that I felt the oppressor's wrong did very well in explaining why Jordy has ocular implants mm-hmm. instead of his visor. When we see him in first contact, this story, on the other hand, I'm I'm trying to think, what's the purpose of this story within that context? If this series of six books is designed in part to set up First Contact, what is it in this story that sets that up? And the only thing that I really came up with was an explanation of why Beverly is so rude to the EMH when she has to activate it.
1: Which I, I think is such a a very small nugget of information to be talking about you know beverly doesn't get a lot of play in in stories um i can think of i think uh i
0: know beverly doesn't get enough play for you matthew
1: n- no no she doesn't uh sub rosa <laughs> we're not going to even talk about that um abomination but just thinking about um some books the only one that i can think of in i guess in recent memory is brinkmanship by una mccormick and crusher actually plays quite a large role in that book and i really appreciate it because it wasn't just her medical knowledge that was being put to use it was mm-hmm. her her knowledge of this species that she knew um that she was familiar with uh you know she's been around the block just as captain picard has she's been around for a very long time in starfleet now she has a lot to offer more than just her medical knowledge and and so I thought it was great that Una had picked that up and used that in that story. I thought that was fantastic. You know, here, uh, Crusher's not really used to any effect. Um, The most interesting thing I thought was, uh, was Chris, apparently, Crusher, it turns out, is actually the one we kind of have to blame for having an EMH anyway. The fact that we have one on Voyager, the fact that we have one, you know, on the Enterprise-E, it all comes down to her.
0: Right. One thing that was interesting here for me is that when we see the EMH on the Enterprise E in first contact, I've always felt that sometime after Voyager launched, Voyager maybe was the first ship to have the EMH. I don't know if that's actually ever established anywhere with any certainty or not, but it was a new technology for sure on Voyager. But I felt like Starfleet was starting to install them in other places. So when I saw it on the Enterprise-E, it didn't surprise me at all because it was a new, you know, that was a cameo where some people feel like that was a lame cameo for Voyager just to get the Doctor on. But I never felt that way. I thought, well, this makes perfect sense. Enterprise-E is a new ship. Here's a new technology. It's a useful technology. So why wouldn't they put it on there? But I also felt like other ships probably were also getting this installed in their sick bays as well. But as it turns out in the story, the explanation is that because Voyager was lost, Zimmerman could not follow up on the trial that they were running with the EMH, and therefore they had it installed on the Enterprise-E, being the flagship Therefore, that would mean that, yes, Voyager probably was the only ship that had that EMH at that point, and now the enterprise E is the second ship to get it
1: Well, and that's very much what happens in the story. you know it turns out that the field test, the secondary field test is going to be happening on the enterprise that it had, it had happened on Voyager. Uh, Voyager being one of the newest ships in, in the fleet at that point, was the test run, and of course, with Voyager yeah. missing. There's no way for Zimmerman to keep his eye on that creation. And so Starfleet, she, she thinks in her head, somebody at Starfleet must have a grudge against me because <laughs> that that's why Barkley is right now installing this in my sickbay. And it turns out she is the one responsible for granting him the funding to mm-hmm. um, you know get this project off the ground, which means when she was at Starfleet Medical during season two of The Next Generation, she would have been the one who had been responsible Oh, she signed
0: off on it. Yeah. Okay. So
1: I think that was kind of a nice little throwback that connecting the fact that, you know, Beverly was away at Starfleet Medical for a whole season. I do think it's funny that she's the one responsible in the end. And I think it's also kind of interesting because this book does kind of play with that idea that why would you create an an, uh, emergency medical hologram with such a sarcastic wit about him. (laughs) Um, And and she even sends a note off to Lewis Zimmerman (laughs) complaining about that and they need to have a talk, which I I thought was very funny because I'm sure if Janeway could have done the same thing at the beginning of Voyager dealing with EMH, she Mm. would have as well.
0: (laughs) Okay, so with what you've just said, which is something I hadn't really thought through as much, I'll give this book credit for creating a nice little connection between TNG Season 2 and Voyager first contact with the EMH. That when Beverly was there as the head of Starfleet Medical, she signed off on this project, which is it's that's kind of a cool little way of of connecting things. But but I don't think it was handled well in the prose here that I didn't really I didn't follow that thread very well. It was more like Beverly hates the EMH in First Contact. Why does she hate it? Well, it's because of the experiences that she has with it right here. But we just jump in so much. Tell me this, Matthew. And and Terry Osborne is not a new author. She's written a lot of Star Trek books and Doctor Who books as well. This particular story, I almost felt like the prose was written as a children's book. Because I read I read to my daughter, and I read to my son before that, every single night. So I read lots of books, and I don't mean a children's book, like a picture book or something, but I mean a, a book written for young readers. It's so simplistic. The story is so simplistic. The, the sentence structure is so simplistic. And it's, there are so many things that I want to actually have more description of what's happening, and for that you need more than 66 pages or 45 pages, and it's just not there.
1: I, I agree with you, Chris. Um, I, I feel like in the end, the, the book overall is just kind of lackluster. The, the story premise is interesting, and yet it's not taken anywhere, and, and there's no actual real resolution to the issue at mm-hmm. hand. Beverly doesn't have actually get to solve the problem, the and she doesn't even use horrible. the EMH that much to help her. So there's the, even the framework that she set up, in the storyline doesn't really pay off anywhere. was the problem we had with this gray spirit as well last week so unfortunately kind of two weeks in a row we're disappointed by there's a great setup here yeah but the payoff for it doesn't really come through and in this book i'd say it doesn't happen at all
0: no i would say that this gray spirit was fantastic compared to that sleep of death I was getting near the end and I knew because I see the page count at the bottom of the screen in iBooks. So I knew there were only like two pages left. And the chapter starts and they're quoting a Christmas carol again. And they're back into rehearsal. And I'm I'm thinking, What is there something wrong with my page? Is this how it's really gonna end after what just happened right before this? And yep, sure enough it is. And that's why I said at the beginning, I feel like this book is here just because they liked a Christmas carol and they wanted to do another story where they were performing a Christmas carol. Because how do you end this story? I mean, creatively, it might sound like a good idea. Like, I started with a Christmas carol. I'm going to end with a Christmas carol. But to end with it when so much stuff needs to actually be explained or or resolved or just go somewhere with it that's interesting to the reader. But just to forget all that and just to finish with the rehearsal again... I thought it was just, it was a complete failure for me as a book.
1: Yeah. And, and I I do have to say though, one of the funny things that, that happens in this book was um, Picard gets all excited and he says, we finally received our first diplomatic mission. And I thought, "I because right? that's what this flagship <laughs> does. It just ferries around people, the diplomatic mission after diplomatic mission. And uh, I, I I loved in some ways that she kind of nailed what it was like for the enterprise. I mean, we know that the the dominion war is, is it's, it's there. It's, it's big. What is the enterprise E doing? It's ferrying this guy along. And yes, he does have information and, and he's a part of a society that may be able to help the Federation, but really, really, this is the mission that we want to send the brand new flagship of the, the Federation, the most advanced ship in the fleet. Well, and we're going to yeah, put it okay. on a mission like this. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, in defense of that, I will say one reason maybe that they did it is that he comes from a planet called Kindarai or Kindarai, however it's pronounced, that's in the Gamma Quadrant. So if I did need to send a starship into the Gamma Quadrant to pick him up, I would want a starship that could hold its own in a fight. And they do say in the book that the Defiant is not available. And so they sent the Enterprise. So I, I will kind of defend that decision in that sense, that this isn't your routine diplomatic mission, like on TNG, where they're within the boundaries of the Federation during peacetime. They actually are going into a dangerous situation in order to retrieve him. So that kind of makes sense. But and And I guess that also highlights sort of my frustration here because I mentioned earlier that I love science fiction short stories and I like general SF and SF concepts. And what Terry comes up with here is potentially really, really interesting. You've got this race, the Kinderions, and they're like very luminous and they're all shiny. There's something really unique about them. And we, he's like covering his face and... And you're not supposed to come in contact with them. You're not supposed to touch their skin. They don't like to be touched. And we come to find out that the reason is that they are not a symbiotic species like the trill. He actually points that out and says, no, we're not exactly like that. We're a mutualistic species. So you've got this humanoid species underneath. And then their body is completely covered with this other species called the barth. And the Barth are, they protect the humanoid underneath, but they're not exactly the immune system either because Picard asks, so they act as your immune system. And he says, no, no, it's not exactly like that. Although before that, the envoy, when they wanted to take a a blood sample, he's like, no, I can't let you do that. If I asked you if I could screw around with your immune system, would you let me? And then later he says, well, no, they're not really my immune system. So a little bit of confusion there about what they, they serve. But I think that the concept as an SF concept is potentially really, really interesting. And I think you could write an entire novel about this that could be very interesting. The problem is in this book that instead of actually delving in to this relationship or what purpose it serves within their society, or even how it might benefit the The Federation, or even how it's affecting the crew, which is that it's it's putting everyone into comas, but then they wake up the next morning, they have no idea anything happened. they were just asleep, but they were in a comatose state instead of exploring any of that, we get a lot of quotations from a christmas carol
1: well and and what's the the other most interesting part about this is is that um This other species that's around them allows them to, you know, when they go to sleep, they don't dream as Mm -hmm. others dream. It Mm -hmm. it says our bodies go through a process by which our metabolism slows and our brain functions ebb and we float along the ether amid the great unknown. And we are sometimes Mm -hmm. able to cross the barrier between life and death using our gifts to Mm -hmm. carry messages to those who may have died before. And Mm -hmm. this is such an interesting idea. And right, yeah, and is. this is yeah. what's causing the 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 coma like nature of uh, you know the other patients that Beverly has yeah. and, that are a part of our crew on the Enterprise, which
0: includes Troy, Troy and Riker, Riker I and mean, Jordy. So many, I mean, it, it's crazy people, yeah. the amount of
1: people. But none of that's really explored, and right, so again, all. the yeah. the nature of what's going on here, the setup is very interesting, but actually nothing happens. So. It Nothing just is happened. unfortunate. I know.
0: I mean, at one point, and this really frustrated me, actually, because what's the mystery? This alien comes aboard the ship. They leave the transporter room. And they had just explained that from Dr. Bashir's records from when this species had visited DS9, they don't like to be touched. And yet the envoy puts his arm through Troy's as she escorts him from the transporter room so you know immediately like wait i thought they didn't like to be touched and he put his arm through her so you know like something is up here although nothing ever actually comes from that he wasn't actually doing anything unusual it was just kind of coincidental because if there was some benefit if there was some motive for doing that it's never revealed in the story
1: yeah i I just don't really understand um the the setup here and so I think I kind of want to transition, Chris, because there were a couple... Well, I want I to say one other okay. thing, though. The,
0: the, the thing that also bugged me about it, the, the medical situation is going on, and you've got crew members, I mean, senior staff, falling into comas, and Beverly is in there with the help of the EMH. But then she turns off the EMH, studying uh, blood samples and things. And then Ogawa comes in to sickbay and says, what are you still doing here? Isn't it time for rehearsal? And then Beverly leave sick bay to go do rehearsal for a Christmas carol in the middle of this medical situation when Troy is supposed to come in a few hours later for an examination. And then when they're in the play, she gets a page from sickbay. Dr. Crusher to sick bay immediately, medical emergency. I put in my notes, this is what I'm talking about. Because earlier in my notes, I put, why is Beverly running off to rehearsal when Troy's condition is unsolved?
1: What doesn't make sense as well, Chris, is that there's a point where Crusher sends Ogawa to go to sleep. And she has to turn on the EMH because apparently she is the only doctor on the Enterprise-E, a huge Federation starship. And (laughs) Nurse Ogawa is the only nurse.
0: What the heck? Seriously, exactly. I know it, it is like right that. Now. When that came up, I'm like, "Why are you telling her to go sleep?"
1: <laughs> I, I get her telling her to go sleep, but where are the other freaking nurses that should be on the Enterprise?
0: Well, yeah, but you're in a medical emergency as well, right? I mean, this—I don't know. It was just so—it was so weird. Like all this stuff is set up. There's a lot of interesting stuff potentially going on, and then. It's it's I, I think that this could have been a really good book, I guess is what I'm getting at. This could have been a really interesting book. But why? <laughs> why are we getting this story? I don't understand what role this plays within the Slings and Arrows series, unless it is, as we said, to set up why Beverly hates the Image.
1: I don't know. And Chris. and
0: one other thing, to reference the Dominion War to point because people have often asked where was the Enterprise during this whole Dominion War thing?
1: And there are a couple of books out there. There's the Dominion War series. There are. Two yeah. of them yeah. are just novelizations of uh, Deep Space Nine episodes, and the other two are stories involving the Enterprise-E, right. which is yeah. great that that happened. But, you know, I, again, I'm I'm with you. It doesn't make sense. In fact, I don't even know why they don't put the Enterprise, just the ship in the last battles of Deep Space Nine because you can throw that model in there and nobody, everybody will know it's the Enterprise, but you don't have to show Picard. You can just, they need to be there. It's important. It doesn't make sense.
0: They should have been. I'm I'm sure it was the rush of everything that was going on in the finale, which if people want to know about, by the way, go grab Larry Nemechek's new Trekland on Speaker Volume 3 CD and you'll actually get to hear about some of that crunch time in making that final battle and... That's true. I've got mine on order right now. I cannot wait, Mm -hmm.
1: Chris, to listen to that. So, Chris, we do have some interesting, I think, character things in here for a few of the characters. One was the relationship between Troy and Riker because this envoy comes on and he kind of, well, let's just say he's hitting on Troy because... We all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. And so uh, Riker kind of has a reaction to this, and uh, Beverly's kind of watching them. And there are a few times where they have this kind of married couple interaction, and she even thinks that in her head, how you know they really do just act like an old married couple and she's kind of wondering yeah. when they will kind of finally make their move mm-hmm. which you know makes makes sense because troy and Riker will finally get together at the end of nemesis and i think oh, gosh. Everybody... spoiler
0: alert there Matthew. yeah
1: um well uh sorry about that i thought
0: that whole titan series was just them running off somewhere
1: yeah, they just uh, hop the Titan, steal it, and <laughs> head to Risa to get married real quick. Um, mm-hmm. But I-, I thought that that was uh, just a little bit interesting to see their interplay, especially as we move from you know the Enterprise D to the Enterprise E and. Obviously, an insurrection as well. That I feel like she's kind of alluding to the fact that Riker and Troy are are moving in a, in a way they don't even necessarily know at this point, but that their okay. their relationship yeah. is is underneath the surface and will kind of come to bloom there. And you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, with that in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was great. And then I I love that she had this great little snippet about Crusher and her feelings for Picard. And that she Mm -hmm. had this great portion where she just talked about how there is a small bit of her that Beverly kind of keeps locked in in kind of a, uh, you know, a proverbial box. Uh, And then she kind of reaches for that just every once in a while, knowing that there's really someone other than her son that cares about what happens to her and kind of knowing that it'll probably never happen. But that. You can tell Beverly would not be opposed to the idea of of Picard finally making the move.
0: Oh, definitely! I yeah. liked
1: that because you know, obviously, if you watch the first season of TNG, it's laid on pretty thick that there's a sexual chemistry and tension there between the captain and the doctor, and then nothing really comes of it ever, right. and until obviously death and winter which is the is book that, you know, takes place mm-hmm. um, after the events of Nemesis. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice little allusion to that. Um, I liked that she put that in here, especially since we are kind of seeing the inner workings of Crusher's mind here. And I think what's so frustrating to me as, as being a Crusher fan it, it is seeing the character have such a poor outing in this book. And it's just because it's badly written as I think sometimes she kind of was in the show. It had nothing to do with the character. It just has to do with the way she's written because I think Gates McFadden always played Crusher fantastically, you know, but when you give her her big episode and it's sub Rosa, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. So um, (laughs) I just wish that this book had had more for her to do um, and and really kind of Mm -hmm. show off her skills as a doctor, um, because this was an interesting medical uh, problem. And mm-hmm. yet, her and the EMH actually end up doing pretty much nothing.
0: Pretty the, much nothing. The, I mean, the EMH...
1: Yeah, the, the envoy has to put on uh, some gloves yeah. and a hood. That was their answer.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, the answer was, at the end, at the play, which I complained earlier about being what ended the book, we find out that the solution was... We can't solve the problem, so we're going to make him cover every tiny millimeter of his body with heavy robes and a hood.
1: Yeah, and and that's just, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, if if the book had been a labor of them trying to figure this out, and that is the answer at the end, that would make sense. Then, but then there's actually okay. no yeah. labor seen in this book by her or the MH slaving over this, trying to figure Nothing it out. at
0: all. No, no. In fact, she keeps turning him off all the time. Computer. Yes, In, which, I yeah. mean,
1: I can understand because he's obnoxious as all get out, but.
0: <laughs> I think he's funny. Yeah. Personally. I mean,
1: he, he <laughs> he's funny if you are watching him, but the thought of like having to work with a character like this. Sure, sure, nobody sure. Nobody could do. I mean, we as a viewer, that's great, but actually being, I mean. Yeah, you. we've probably all worked with somebody who thinks they oh, know yeah. everything and is a complete jackass. Yeah. That's what it would be like to work with the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and and at least on Voyager, the best part was that he grows out of that. I mean, he still has an arrogance to him, but he's very mm-hmm. different by the end. But if you mm-hmm. just kind of are going to use your EMH every once in a while, you kind of turn him off and on mm-hmm. just whenever you need him, he's always going to be like this. Whew.
0: Because the EMH here is the one that we saw in Caretaker, because it's just this is the pilot program, basically starting over again. Yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, it, it's it's just unfortunate. So Chris, final thoughts on that <laughs> Sleep of Death?
0: It's a bad book. I I'm sorry. I, I I you know how much with books or episodes or whatever you know how much I hate to come off as just bashing something or just. Bad mouthing something, and and I try not to do that here, in pointing out that there is a potentially very interesting science fiction concept in here with this mutualistic relationship. I think that's fascinating. I think the medical mystery is a great idea. I I think that you know showing something else that was going on for the Enterprise during the Dominion War is interesting. There are a couple of moments in here where Beverly mentions how data is dealing with the emotion chip and how it's affecting his creativity. There are all these little ideas in here that could have been used to bridge that gap to first contact, which again is the point of the series of books existing in the first place. And I I feel like the prose is written for what would be like an early teen young adolescent audience structurally the book is poorly put together and nothing goes anywhere and it's just not an interesting book and it didn't do much for me and it didn't really fill in very much of anything valuable especially coming off of something like The Oppressor's Wrong with Jordy's visor and the follow-up to Admiral Layton's coup attempts on earth and everything which was a really good story this one was really disappointing to me, so I'm gonna give it two unwanted touches from the Kenderan envoy. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it two. I'm gonna give it two, not one, because I I think she came up with some interesting ideas. So two instead of one, but just as the way the book's put together, it probably would be a one for me.
1: You know, Chris, uh, I I'm with you. It's um. It is just a disappointing book because there is some meat here. There's some interesting ideas, um, even just sci-fi wise. Um, and it is unfortunate that the book can never live up to those ideas. And that could be tough. I mean, you see, um, I think, episodes of, of uh, Star Trek and any series that have mm-hmm. great ideas and they're just unable to live up to them. So it happens.
0: Extinction on Enterprise. E- is exactly. one.
1: Exactly. Um, there you've got that in every single series. And so, um, I, I think it's just unfortunate that this book really suffers, um, from that same syndrome. Uh, and so I'm going to give this, um, one and a half EMHs out of five. Um, I, I, just so what's
0: the half, like the state where it's being deactivated. Exactly. And it's like fully where he's
1: dematerializing, okay. um, so yeah, that's exactly what it is. So I right. I, I wanna I wanna give it two. I, I wanna be that generous, but I, I just can't I think I gave it two on Goodreads, Chris, because they yeah, don't so did have I. Uh, yeah. a half star. Yeah. And so uh yeah, it's just unfortunate.
0: All right. Well well there we go. That's the book. So I'm looking forward to the next book actually i I think it'll be great the next one
1: involves uh you know thomas Riker being back and that itself is is an exciting prospect um and so i'm looking forward to that and then of course we'll finish it up and it actually is a crossover with uh deep space 9 and so that also has me very excited so all in all you know this has been um i think a a decent series i think this is just the one so far that has just kind of failed us so Uh, And that happens. So no hard feelings. But, um, you know, if you're reading this along and you kind of get to this book, I really don't think there's any problem with skipping this one.
0: No, you won't miss anything, I don't think. All right. Well, that sleep of death is not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. See, they say that Spock's not a funny guy, but that's this. Really funny. This shows, you know, even more than his command ability, it shows that
1: even in the most dire of situations, he still has a sense of humor. Earl Grey. <laughs> uh, anyway, other points on transfigurations. Come on, no. Let's go
0: to the next one. Let's go to the next okay. one. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> 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 the next one. Episode twenty-six. The best of worlds,
1: part one. The orb. If it was anybody else, I would be questioning the, the ethics of it much more, but because of the relationship that Sloane and Bashir have, I almost kind of expect that Sloane would look down on Bashir if he wasn't doing something like this.
0: To the journey!
1: It's just a good old action story. It's easy to follow. And yeah, okay, granted, yes, yeah, Janeway's got the rifle in her hand
0: and she's going around, but she's shooting bugs. That could be scary, though. There's a lot of dark lights, a lot of yeah. jump scares where you open up a door and then the monster comes out your face. The ready room. Well, keep in mind, uh, espionage and spy, they have trouble with those two words in Romulan. So maybe that's maybe that's why it comes across as stilted <laughs> and contributes to the world's slowest disarmament and fight in the history of anything. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. It doesn't temper anything that the attempt is valiant. No matter how noble the knight is who fights for this king, he's fighting for a corrupt king.
1: Maybe they're not trying to be valiant. Maybe the next people who come in will try to be defiant. Yes. Literary treks. And I think Kira makes a great point. We need closure. And this is a great way for us to close the book on everything that happened to us for the last 50,
0: almost 60 years. Mm -hmm. Continuing mission. What are we going to do for the man trap? What are we going to do? Because it's all about a salt creature and a lot of it's on the planet. What do we do? And I literally just blurted out to Ashley. I was like, what if it was all about the plant? Melodic Treks. That no, he has got nothing to do with the actual episode. It's just the yeah. music. But it's, I think it's really funny that yeah, I've changed my opinion of him. So I'll choose music from the episode that most people say is complete rubbish. Well, the first two minutes of that episode are fine. They're the same as any other episode, really, aren't they? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. We have new Trek talk for you every single day of the week, and you can find it everywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us there. And while you're out there getting your podcasts, please consider taking a moment to leave us a rating and a review. That really does help us rise up in the iTunes search results. And we'd love to hear from you, and it helps other Star Trek books and comics fans find the shows. Speaking of reviews, Matthew, we have some more from our reviews promotion that we would like to read. And the first one is from A91R8H8, who said, Can't live without my Treka Film. I've been listening to some of Trek of Film's podcasts since early last year. I listen to them while I'm driving on my way to and from school. I find myself so engrossed in the conversation, and I wish I was there. The people who work on this podcast are real Trekkies, Trekkers too, making the conversation all that more interesting because of their knowledge of Trek lore. Then we also have one from tarhill trek who said, A welcome home for Trek Lit. I discovered Trek FM podcasts about six months ago and have been listening religiously ever since. The various shows have quickly become my drive-time entertainment of choice. As a Trek book and comics reader for many decades, Literary Treks is easily my favorite show, and I've listened to many hours of past episodes. And you know, Matthew, that's something that we've probably talked about this before, but it did surprise me a little bit, Uh, but I love it. When we created Literary Treks, we largely did it because you and I wanted a place where we could go through and read new books and read past books and just talk about them and we knew that there were readers out there who would enjoy it as well, but I didn't really expect the size of audience that we've gotten for this show.
1: You know, Chris, uh, I honestly didn't either. And, and I think it's great because um, it, it gives people who love the books a place to go. Um, and I, I think it's brought new people into reading the books as well. And I'm so excited to be a part of a show that helps people want to read more Trek lit. Um, that to me is just phenomenal. And so, um, yeah, thank you so much for spending the time to review the show so that more people can find it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, we, we have two more. We'll read real quick here today. We have one from ETN SKVL. Ah, here it is. Five stars. This is my absolute favorite of the shows you guys have. I'm a reader and I am desperately trying to keep up. I immensely enjoy the deep, thought-provoking discussions you have about the continuing saga that is Star Trek. Please keep this one coming. Well, no worries. It's definitely going to continue to be coming your way. And uh, actually, I was thinking there too, Matthew, that when I think about all of our other shows, you know, we've designed them in a way that they're pretty open-ended. You know, we're not a review show for... TOS or TNG or DS9 on those shows. We talk about the uh, minutiae of those shows. So they have a really long lifespan. But no show has as much of a lifespan as one about Star Trek books and comics because there are thousands of books and comics out there.
1: This is true, Chris, and they just keep adding more, which uh, makes our job so much easier. (laughs) (laughs) It does.
0: They will continue to come along. So don't worry, we're not going anywhere. And then the last one is from Aslan16, our dear friend, Rene, who says, Trek's treasure trove of tremendous tales. Thanks for opening up the world of Star Trek novels and taking us on adventures we could never have seen on screen. Keep up the great work. So thank you, everyone, for those reviews. We really, really appreciate it. And also, Matthew, while we're on the topic of reviews here, we just had our reviews promotion and we would like to announce the winners of the books that we gave away. We had two people who won books and those were Gene Russell and Jake Duke. And Jeffrey Lang is really popular, Matthew, because they both asked for the light fantastic on Kindle.
1: Oh, that's great, Chris. Uh, fantastic book. I'm I'm really excited to see them. Uh, want to pick up a copy of that. I do not think that they are going to be disappointed whatsoever.
0: No, I, I was um, a little surprised that they both picked the same book, but hey, it's great. And so it I'm not surprised they picked it. So. And thank you to everyone else who left reviews during the promotion period. If you didn't win, I, I'm working on some little digital thing for every one who entered the promotion so that everyone gets a little something. So I'll be in touch uh, when that's ready. So thanks so much for your support there. All right. Well, if you would like to leave your feedback on today's show, let us know what you think of That Sleep of Death, if you've read it, and what you think about other things that we talked about. You can go to contact. There is a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks. and That'll come to both Matthew and me by email. You can also find us in social media, on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM facebook.com slash trekfm. Also, we have a community on G+, and you can send us a voicemail through the website as well, or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm to do that. And we would love to hear your voice and maybe play your voicemails here on the show. Now, Matthew, when you're not putting on your Barth suit to protect you from, you know, anything that might try to, you know, bugs biting you or anything when you're doing your runs that you're doing these days, where can people find you?
1: Well, Chris, you can find me on twitter at matt rushing zero uh, two of course you can find me as we've talked about a little bit uh, on the orb where we talk deep space nine all the time on that show so if you enjoy deep space nine please uh join chris and i there we have a wonderful time talking about our favorite star trek series and then you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42 life dot i do lots of different types of things there reviews of other types of books um, as well as movies and that kind of stuff, so you can join me there. Now, Chris, when you're not stopping by sick bay just so you can get a look at Dr. Crusher, hopefully she's available for you, uh, where can we find you?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to go down to the theater, because there's something about when she's in director mode mm. that I just find so much more attractive than when she's in I sick
1: agree way. with you, Chris. <laughs>
0: Well, you can find me on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. And I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And then elsewhere on the network, I'm doing shows all the time. There's of course the orb, which Matthew just plugged. He's determined that everyone's gonna listen to the orb. I'll tell you that.
1: That and that they're <laughs> gonna love Deep Space Nine, Chris. That's, <laughs> That's my right. goal in life. To get everybody to realize how great DS9 is.
0: <laughs> it really is. So there's that show. There's also Warp 5, Continuing Mission, Matterstream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, and I co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator Alec Peters. So tune into those if you want to find out what else I'm talking about. We'd also like to remind you about Patreon. Patreon.com slash TrekaFilm is where you can go to find out what our current goals and needs are, how you can help us get to those places and also what perks we have in exchange for your support. It's a great way to support us on a monthly basis. So if you love the shows that we bring to you, not only every month, not only every week, but every single day, please consider dropping by and contributing something. Every little bit helps. And we have some great stuff for you in return. Again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Trek FM. And also, Drop by Audible. Pick up Probe or any other book that you'd like. That's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. You'll get that book free. If you decide not to stick with Audible and you cancel, you'll get to keep that book so there is nothing to lose. But when you try Audible, it also really helps us keep the shows coming to you every single week. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network as well.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call
0: that light reading? To each his own, number one.